0: Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast with Steve Schallenberger. You're listening to the show that is guaranteed to help you transform your life and achieve results that otherwise would have seemed difficult or even impossible. In each episode, you'll learn from someone who has achieved extraordinary goals. Steve is the number one national bestselling author. He's successfully started 11 businesses in three separate industries. He is a highly sought after keynote speaker and corporate trainer for organizations around the world, an executive coach, the father of six, and the founder of Becoming Your Best Global Leadership. Here is Mr. Steve Schallenberger. Welcome to
1: all of our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners, wherever you might be in the world today. This is your host, Steve Schallenberger, and we have a wonderful guest with us today. His name is Wally Thim, and he was the leader in an inspiring turnaround that has had a significant impact in protecting our nation. And I'll get to that in just a moment. His thoughts will really be invaluable for a leader at any level, whether it be a team, a coach, a teacher, a parent at home, or the leader of a large organization. So welcome, Wally Thim. (laughs) Thanks, Steve. So excited to have you with us today and before we get started, I'd like to tell you just a, a little bit about Wally's background. And he was born and raised in Hawaii. And I'm going to have him tell a little bit more about where he was raised in Hawaii. He graduated from high school there and, and was very active. And in addition to scholastic things, he was a, a, a top-level athlete. He attended Washington State University Uh, on a scholarship where he played football and basketball for two seasons when Uncle Sam called and drafted him in the military service uh, into the Army. He served four years as an enlisted soldier serving one combat duty in Vietnam in 1968 and 69, and he was honorably discharged in 1970. And that's when I had the opportunity to meet Wally Thim for the first time in the country of Uruguay. And what a terrific guy he was there. We had the chance to actually serve missions together. Wally returned and graduated from Brigham Young University in business, and that is when he made the decision to go back into the Army. He uh, went right out of college to Fort Lewis, Washington, He attended advanced ROTC uh, training and camp where he graduated and passed the camp as a distinguished military graduate. He was commissioned a second lieutenant. He served as an army commissioned officer from 1975 to 1995, retiring as a lieutenant colonel in the armored cavalry with a total of 26 years of service. Thank you, Wally, for that incredible service.
2: You're welcome, Steve, and I appreciate that very much.
1: Yeah, we we appreciate you protecting our freedom and giving of yourself. Wherever I go, uh, really, as I travel all over the world, I frequently see the military uh, from our country and also of others. But when I have the chance to talk with them, I thank them, and I know that all of our listeners will feel the same way uh, Wally has spent, since he's retired from the Army, he's spent the remainder of his time building uh, and helping universities and development, and also in supporting some of the healthcare initiatives in Hawaii. So, with that, I would love to introduce this and get us going, Wally, by having you tell us about what was your background like as a youth? Where were you raised specifically? And what was it like being a young man there?
2: Uh, thanks, Steve. Uh, I was raised on the island of Molokai on in the state of Hawaii. Now, Molokai is a very small island just south of Oahu, the main island, where I was raised by my grandparents. In particular, my grandfather had a had had a strong influence over me and in, in what he did and the things that he taught me. He uh, because it was a rural uh, island, Pretty much, we we kind of had to uh, go outdoors quite a bit. We uh, I, I learned how to hunt, I learned how to fish, learned how to uh, uh, do a lot of outdoor things. Even uh, at a young age, uh, my grandfather taught me how to shoot, and I became actually quite good at at using different different weapons um and i grew up there for for six years my first grade year to the sixth grade before moving back to honolulu and and staying with my parents but that's how my my youth as i as i went through my elementary school years
1: so wally i I just want to know so did you ever come face to face with a wild boar
2: (laughs) uh... Uh, Yes, as a matter of fact, uh, sure did. Uh, There are times uh, when you, they're actually kind of more afraid of you um, than you are of them. But at the first, I can remember the first time coming face to face was one of those. And my grandfather said to me, take the shot.
0: (laughs) And and it, it
2: was, it was a pretty good, good shot too, uh, I, I I didn't hit him square, but my grandfather made sure that that the boar was uh, was killed. And but that was kind of my first uh, my first experience with hunting. And then of course we hunted other things besides that. We hunted deer. He taught me how to track. He taught me all about the mountain trails. Uh, and I became pretty much an outdoors. Type of person, and I love the outdoors. I love fishing. He taught me how to fish in the ocean, how to how to lay nets, how to spear fish, how to dive, and so basically, I was pretty much an out, outdoor type person.
1: Wow, what a and prep! It, it, what a preparation, though. That must have been quite amazing. You had to learn how to work and be self reliant. That must have been quite the experience.
2: Well, it it was, and and my grandfather was. Uh, you know, he was not so much a disciplinarian, but but more of a teacher. Now, my grandmother, on the other hand, she was definitely the disciplinarian. <laughs> uh, and I'm not sure if that's the way in, in all households, but my grandmother was a disciplinarian. And she was kind of the one that would tell me, when you hang your clothes up, put all the hangers an inch apart. This is how you fold your clothes. This is how you iron your clothes. This is how you do this. This is how you do that it kind of set in in a in, in a, a pattern for me that that I followed and to be honest with you I still kind of follow that pattern today
1: well that's quite so, amazing because one one of the things I we talk about a lot is that one person can really make a difference that we shouldn't really understate the influence we have i had a friend one time say never overstate your importance but not, never understate your influence, and isn't that amazing? The impact that your grandpa and your grandfather, your grandmother had on you, and was so fundamental of what you would end up doing later in life.
2: Yeah, that that was kind of pretty unique. Uh, and as I think back on that, you know, I, you know, there's a difference in living in a in a part of the country or an island that's rural, and on an island that's that's like a metropolitan area like Honolulu is. And, and Honolulu at the time when I was growing up was a very busy city. And so I was, I was extremely fortunate, to be honest, that I actually grew up in those elementary school years uh, on a rural island where I even on occasion had to ride a horse. Now get that. <laughs> ride a horse to go to school. And then we would just let the horse go in the in the in the yard uh, and just out in the pasture. And it was the same yard and pasture that we went and recessed in. We did our recess in. So that was that was pretty funny. Well, thanks. Yeah, thanks for now. taking the
1: time to share that background. That's great. And then to be able to have the experience in Honolulu. That what a tremendous mix. Well, now Wally, That's- what what's uh what's the biggest challenge you've had in your life? Uh, whether it be in your personal life or your professional life and and then how did you handle it and then i'd like to get to this turnaround experience that you had because i think it's going to be something that will help all of our listeners uh, certainly all of our listeners are leaders uh, leaders in our own lives but also leaders in the other things that we do in life but let's just start with that what are some of the formational things for you
2: well one of the uh... One of the huge challenges that, that I faced that I never anticipated was when I was drafted into the military service. Uh, I was drafted into the Army in 1966. Uh, I, and that was a complete shock to me. I went to basic training, and uh, our drill sergeant, uh, was one of the toughest people that I have ever met uh, and and demanded the best from us demanded it whatever we would do he would say not good enough and whenever we tried to do something uh, he was always right there he was trying to correct us and it seemed like it was he was overbearing uh, and i you know and we thought in our in our platoon that I was with, we thought that he was way too much. Uh, and then, of course, when we graduated from from basic training, and then you go on to advanced training. But when we graduated from basic training, we all thought, okay, now we're we're going to get away from him. He's not going to be there. And then he called us after the last formation that we had. He says he wanted us all to to. See to get up into the barracks and he wanted to make he wanted to talk to us and we thought man this guy is just not letting up and he took us up into the barracks and and we thought he was going to yell or do something because they they're pretty powerful and forceful type of drill instructors but that was the first time that he he appeared to be very emotional and he told us he said, take a look around, take a look around and and, and see your buddies, see see your, your soldiers that are next to you. He said, these guys, some of them are not going to be here and not going to be around because all of you, about more than 95% of you are going to end up in Vietnam. And he says, some of you in this room are not going to make it. And that had such a huge impact on me. And then he said this. He said, you wonder, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're wondering. You're wondering why I was pushing so hard and why I wanted you to do things correctly and right. And why when you missed a target when you were shooting it, I would get on you. Or why when you were running and you weren't running fast enough, I would tell you, run and run harder. He would say, it's because you are going to be the defender of the guy next to you, and it's going to save him, and it's going to save you in time of combat. And I, all of us there at, at the time when he said that all of a sudden had a different attitude and certainly a different perspective of what this guy was all about. All of a sudden he had he had our attention, he had our respect. Of course he had our respect before, but now he he truly became like a well respected person telling us what was going to happen. And that kind of set the the foundation of of kind of my military uh, my military pattern. Uh, when when I became an officer, uh, when I became an officer, things things certainly change when you're you're the leader. And, and in military service, Steve, um, you have the business of national defense. You have the business of defending liberty and freedom and good principles of living. Uh, and so we, I took that uh, actually quite seriously. Uh, at every level of, of my commission service, I had the opportunity to command. As a, as a lieutenant, I was a platoon leader. As a captain, I was a company commander. And then as you get promoted and continue on, uh, you look for higher opportunities to move forward Uh, in the military, and especially in the Army. If you have the opportunity to command, command is like an ultimate uh, job. Army officers look to command things because that is the career pattern. That will enable you to be promoted uh, either quickly, quicker than what you would normally be promoted, or it'll give you probably uh, opportunities of other opportunities, other good uh, military jobs to open up to you. So everybody that's an officer usually looks for a command opportunity. And so that's what I did uh as I, as I move forward in my, in my challenging times with, uh, with different levels of command. Um, well, that's really a turning point,
1: and I can see that. And I just want to pause and indicate that, uh, you know, we're so grateful for your service in Vietnam. Uh, I was raised in the Northern California area, and because I had a high draft number, uh, I just simply wasn't drafted. Uh, that's just the way it went for our age group if you had a low number you went and if you had a higher number you didn't you may go in the future but uh, I had a neighbor on either side of me that each one of them was lost in Vietnam and I mean it's a sobering thing and we're grateful for your service there and and afterwards well what leadership principles that you've learned uh, and I'd like to kind of have you now build on that and let's take from where you went back into the army you started gaining uh, experiences uh, advancement opportunities tell us about your experience and story at Fort Hood and what took place there and what were some of the most important leadership uh, principles that you used tell us about your experience first of all and then uh, what were the most important factors that allowed you to be successful in your turnaround?
2: Okay, um, <clears throat> as a uh, as a major, I was a major promotable, being ready, uh, being uh, on the promotion list to lieutenant colonel. I started to look for command opportunity early. Uh, I was stationed at Fort Knox. Uh, the Armor Center, actually, uh, and I was getting ready to transfer, and so I was looking for an opportunity to command. And as I started uh, the process, I had to contact my people in the Pentagon that that managed me and managed my branch. Uh, we kind of discussed, it, you know, opportunities that came for command, and so there were there were number of opportunities at different forts. Uh, There was one at Fort Lewis. There was, you know, others. One was at the 82nd Airborne. One was at the 101st Air Mobile. Uh, There there were opportunities there, but when they applied my name to those positions, the general of that base did not select me. And so it came down to one last chance, and it was at Fort Hood, at the 1st Cavalry Division, and I asked my, my personnel management guy to go ahead and apply me to that, that command position for the one fight Battalion. Uh, he did, and he sent my, my records to the general, the commanding general of the division, and lo and behold, I was selected. And I thought, wow. Uh, this is kind of neat. You know, I'm I'm not at Fort Hood. And I know there's other, you know, and, and I know that there's other, you know, people there that certainly would want to command opportunity. And so I, I kind of thought to myself, boy, my record must be pretty cool. Well, I, I, I knew I had a good record, but, you know, as to be competitive with others that are on the ground at Fort Hood and I wasn't there, you know, Kind of made me kind of puff myself up a little bit. I was thinking, oh this is real cool, <laughs> you know I, <clears throat> But here's, here was, this was the thing. By the time I, I got to Fort Hood and went to check on the, uh, the unit when I first reported in, uh, I noticed that right off the bat, the morale in the unit was extremely low. I also found out that the commander previous to me was relieved of his responsibilities, and <clears throat> and uh, when I started to check on the training records, the test records, I noticed that the unit did not do well in hardly any of the testing. Uh, the army goes by a red, yellow, green system. If you're good and you're proficient in what you do, it's a it's a green. Uh, if it's average, it's a yellow, and if it's a no-go, it's a red <clears throat> and when I took a look at the uh, the testing and and the training records i i I just saw too much red. I looked down there and i I saw red and then I realized,, Steve, this is actually kind of funny. Then I realized why nobody wanted that job. <laughs> And, oh, that's great! I, thought, I love
1: it. That that gets your juices going right there.
2: <laughs> uh, it it did, and and the first thing that came to to my mind, and, and that was kind of funny actually. The first thing that came to my mind was, <clears throat> why did I fight to get this job? <laughs> right. So, but be that as it may, uh, I accepted the challenge. Now the first thing that I did, uh, I had to remind the soldiers of why they were there. It's for defense of our country, is that we prepare for combat, even though we don't go to combat. We still prepare for it, and we have to be ready at a moment's notice. There is no doubt that there is lots of conflict in the world. We've seen it. Every 10 to five years, we end up in some sort of conflict, and so we have to be ready. And I related to them my experience in Vietnam about my drill instructor, and also uh, that they were there, and they were Army people, and they were soldiers, and they were the defenders. I started with that just so that I could see how things would kind of work out, and and they kind of responded to me. Uh, it was it was a it was a good positive response. Uh, and so we started. Uh, we we had to we had to do things incrementally. We we couldn't take just everything across the board and just run with it. But we had to do things incrementally. We had to start with the individual soldier. And we have to build his confidence. And we, we have to do things like make him better at physical training, make him better at team training, make him better in his process of thinking and responding and reacting. Uh, so we, we just started from scratch again. We sent people to the firing range. We sent soldiers to the firing range, and we told them, your job is to hit the target. That's the basis of what we do as an individual soldiers. When you fire a weapon, you have to hit something, and and so we went through the basis again. Uh, we had to build um, their marksmanship. We had to build their physical stamina, their physical training, and we had to uh, build their MOS, their specific uh, military specialty that they were placed in. And we had to increase their capacity and skill in those areas. So we started as an individual and then built built upon that. Now, once we had a, a pretty good sense of where this was going as as individuals, then we started with the team. Uh, we have to build team uh, uh, confidence and in the team with each other. And so we started doing that. We started to uh, go out into training and you know training with tanks, um military tanks sometimes is not the easiest thing.
1: Oh, wow. Um, it, <laughs> I can imagine that'd be tough.
2: Yeah, and as we as we started training, as we started going to firing tables and working maneuvers, training maneuvers, uh I could see where they started to really do well, they started to do better. Uh, and long story short, Steve, at, at the end of one year, at the end of one year, we went into the testing period for this unit. Now, this unit was kind of a um, it was kind of a laughingstock at Fort Hood. Everybody made fun of One Five Cap. Everybody knew that, you know, one gosh, One Five Cap. Oh my gosh, you know they ought to just do away with that unit. I mean, th- there was a lot of fun, you know, funny stuff talked about that unit. But when we went through that testing period after a year of training, and I mean hard training, uh, we went to firing tables. Uh, we, went, we went through the IG inspection. We went through the APFT individual training. We, we went through all of that. At the end of all of that training uh, and testing, um, the results came back. Uh, But it didn't come back to me. That was kind of interesting. It went to the chief of staff. And the chief of staff at the time was a colonel by the name of Tommy Franks. I don't know if you've heard of Tommy Franks. Of course. Yeah,
1: wow, what an amazing uh, leader.
2: Yeah, Tommy Franks was the four-star general that, that uh, took uh, the second Gulf War and commanded that shock and awe campaign uh, in Iraq. Uh, but Tommy Franks was a was a colonel at the time, and, and I was a lieutenant colonel and and the battalion commander. And he walked into my office, and he had this piece of paper in his hand, and he came, he came up, he came to my office, and he kind of just tossed the, this paper down on my office, and he said, Wally, how did you do this? And I wasn't exactly sure what he was talking about. Uh, he said, you turned around one of the most problematic units that we've had in this unit in the 1st Cavalry Division. And I, I told him, well, it was just setting goals uh, having confidence in the soldier, uh, just building it from sort of the ground up, individual, and then going to team trainings and having confidence in the soldier. But, but even more than that, uh, we have to give the soldier the resources. And so we, as a commander and staff, actually went to work in trying to get the soldiers the better equipment. Making the maintenance of the of the vehicles and tanks and all the things that we had with the brands, getting them all up to snuff, uh, and even uh, talking to the uh, the cooks at the mess hall to do better in feeding the troops. Wow! And, and being with the troops.
1: Well, what uh, was the so end result here? I'm on pins and needles. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, the the end product was. Uh, we ended up being in the top five percent of all units, and as a matter of fact, we were above every single unit in the First Cav Division, every Cav unit. And what that what that influence was that every unit in the First Cavalry Division, every Cav unit, was like, "Holy smokes, the First <laughs> Cav is above us," and that kind of spurred something. Everybody tried to. To say we're we're better than one five, we're better than one five, and everybody tried to, and as a as a whole, it raised the combat level and aptitude and efficiency of that brigade that I was in. It was an amazing thing. Now here's the other thing: after I did that, uh, after we completed the testing and all of that. Uh, uh, Colonel Franks told me, he says, "You have to take leave because I know that you've been, you've been really working hard, you and your staff." He said, "You guys have been doing monumental work." He says, "Go ahead and take leave." He says, "You deserve it." So I took leave. I brought my family home to Hawaii, and we were we were here for one day. And at the end of that day, I got a call from Fort Hood. All leaves canceled return to fort hood (laughs) we are going to go play in the sandbox oh my iraq has just invaded kuwait and we are going to go liberate kuwait so this this couldn't have happened to be honest with you at at a better time and i took that unit i took that unit to kuwait uh and we were responsible for, for going all the way across Kuwait when, during the attack and stopping the retreating army that came out of Kuwait, the Iraqi army that came out of Kuwait. We stopped them on the road to Basra, and we kind of nicknamed that area the, uh, we nicknamed that area the Valley of Death. Wow. And wow. So, long story short, we were successful. Uh, and, you know, you, you, you always want to make sure that your, your soldiers are cared for, uh, that your people are cared for, because if you care for them, if you give them what they need, the resources that they need, and you respect them, uh, they respond in a way that's absolutely amazing. And that's what the soldiers did for me and for the company commanders that were under my command. Well, it was was an amazing and amazing experience for me.
1: Now, Wally, I, I just want you to know that wherever we go, and this is part, this is what has been my research and what is in Becoming Your Best, the 12 Principles of Highly Successful Leaders, is exactly what you've done. Is when you have a leader that does these kind of things that you've been describing, sets the vision so people get the vision. They create a plan of how they're going to implement this excellence to, to uh, come about. And then they care for people. They respect for one another. They have respect for one another. They build trust. They do things that build trust. And then this, as you said, you went from the soldier to the team. And once you have then a culture, of excellence everything starts changing the levels the standards of performance go up and it's very hard for them to go down and and so uh congratulations on that uh what you did is you had an impact not only on the individual soldier or your whole brigade but this is what happens when you do those kind of things that influences everybody else around you so uh, thanks again, and I'm glad that you described that. Now, I can't believe it, Wally. We're out of time already. But before, <laughs> before we end up, I'd like to just have you in one minute, if you can, maybe share what you feel are maybe life's most important lessons that you would like to pass along to our listeners and uh, to others, your children or, or people that would really want to do better. Give us one or two thoughts, and then we better wrap it up.
2: Okay. Well, the one thing that uh, I think is important is uh, every challenge that faces you, every is an is is an opportunity to excel. Uh, challenges are are not there to be backed away from. Challenges are there. To increase capacity and increase influence. Uh, that has that has always been something that I have learned, and that I espouse, and that I believe. Uh, it's it's been you know my military career is is just the foundation of everything that I've probably done in my life. Up Until this, uh, even currently, even presently. And and the other thing is, uh, you got to smile at things. (laughs)
1: Um,
2: You got to have a sense of humor, uh, and you can't take yourself. You know, you got to laugh at yourself. You can't take yourself so seriously. You got to laugh in your life. You got to have fun. You got to have balance. Those are the things that are important because if, if things are kind of a little out of balance, uh, you, you, you kind of fall behind. Uh, but I found out that, uh, you know, flexi- being flexible, uh, being compassionate, but yet you can have a, a, a strong influence on those around you and
1: particularly those in your family as well. Well, okay. So well, I hope that makes sense. well, Well, Wally, I just want you to know that if I had a son or a daughter serving in the military, I'd want them to serve under Wally Thim. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of anybody better. Well, thank you, Wally, for being part of this show today. Thank you for your service to our country, uh, for your selflessness, for your sacrifice. We're so grateful for it. Yeah, You've done a terrific job today and throughout your whole life. And we wish you all the best as you continue to make a difference in, in the world. And to all of our listeners, never forget, you too can make a difference every single day. I'm Steve Schallenberger with Becoming Your Best Global Leadership, wishing you a great day.
0: thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the becoming your best podcast we want to know what your big takeaways were so head on over to becomingyourbest.com and you can find all the information about the podcast right there as well as the show notes page where we'd love to hear what you thought about each and every single episode also if you haven't done so yet please go subscribe to the podcast on itunes and leave a rating and review A rating interview is by far the best way for you to show your appreciation for the show because it helps other people find out about the show and decide if this is the podcast for them. So now it's all in your hands. It's time for you to go out there to take action and truly start becoming your best.